Hello everyone, James from Comedy Sock here, and I just wanted to give you a quick introduction to what this podcast is about. Now, obviously, you're all very aware of the worldly situation right now, and one admittedly trivial side effect of that is that we, as a university comedy society, will be unable to put on shows in person for the foreseeable future. So, in order to combat our self-isolating blues, we're putting together a series of shows from panel games, sketches, comedy discussions and the like, to keep us all sane and you all entertained in these trying times. Now, unfortunately, as a caveat for these early episodes, we are all essentially recording these in separate caves. Uh, We are in the process of getting better mics delivered, but as you can appreciate, those may take some time to arrive, and we're a little bit limited on the numbers. Uh, So for now, the audio quality will be jumping around a little bit. So uh, apologies for that, but hopefully things should be getting a little better very soon. Until then, though, thank you very much for listening, and enjoy the podcast. Welcome to the Comedy Sock Podcast. I'm Jacob Podesta, and I will be hosting today's show. This week, we bring you the unbelievable truth, following the proud Comedy Sock tradition of recycling pre-existing radio and television formats, usually including puns relating to the city of York. Rejected formats for this included Foss Island Gate Discs, (laughs) Ooze Line Is It Anyway, This Morning with Richard, Duke of York. The unbelievable truth is a Radio 4 format often accused of being out-of-touched, old-fashioned, showing undue prominence to dialects of southern central England, I will be hosting today's show. (laughs) Uh, Joining me today will be our four panellists, Geo Craig, Rohan Asher, Leo Batru, and Marie Collahan. How are you all today? Great. I'm fine. Yeah. Splendid. Any exciting stories from the insides of your rooms (laughs) over the last few weeks? I don't know what day it is. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that days matter anymore. Um, It's lost knowledge. Lost knowledge, like how the ancients built the pyramids. What day of the week it is. What is work? Oh, man. I don't even even know anymore. (laughs) So, for the unbelievable truth, the rules of the show are simple. Each panellist will give a short lecture on a subject which must be entirely false, save for five true facts that they must attempt to smuggle past among the fiction. Points will be awarded for each truth that goes unnoticed by the rest of the panel. The other panellists will score points by spotting truths and lose points by mistaking a lie for a truth. In order to get my attention during the talks, each of our panellists has a buzzer. Geo goes... Rohan goes... Leo goes... And Marie goes... Splendid. Excellent noises all round. So, first up we have Geo Craig. Contrary to popular belief, Geo does not study geography or geology. Instead, they study theatre, so that one day they can follow their dream of working in a pub for minimum wage. Currently, Geo is the outgoing secretary of Comedy Sock and incoming director of Comedy Sock's improv troupe, The Shambles. How did Geo end up with two positions, I hear you ask? Well, when they asked Gio to be secretary, as a good improviser, Gio could only respond, yes, and... That's Gio, true. your topic um... is Australia. <laughs> it's true? Is that how you ended up with the positions? Yeah, I just, I, I'm yeah. legally incapable of saying no uh, to anything now. That's why I'm doing this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's 
an admirable trait that can end in interesting places. Not all of them good. <laughs> <But, laughs> <laughs> Okie dokie. Well, I mean, the uh, first mistake you made was saying yes to this, because your topic is Australia. Officially, the Commonwealth of Australia. Australia is a sovereign country comprising the mainland of, Aus- of the Australian continent, the island of Tasmania, and numerous smaller islands. Off you go, Geo. Though Australia is often thought to be a country in the Southern Hemisphere, it is actually a myth invented by the British government in the 19th century to scare the population into behaving themselves. Despite not existing, it is the second largest country in the world, as well as being the oldest, flattest and driest inhabited continent. It is so flat that you can... I'm going to have to say the oldest, uh, the driest bit there. I think that's the truth. Give me points, please. You think the oldest and the driest and the flattest inhabited continent? Yeah. You are correct. Thank you. Do you think so? Um, It also has the least fertile soils, one of the lowest population densities in the world, and some of its land mass dates from the Archean rock 3.6 billion years ago, making it very much the oldest rocks on the planet. It's also where some of the earliest evidence of life on Earth arises from. Wow. Are we ready to go again? Yeah. Splendid. It's so flat that you can drop a cucumber with it. (laughs) Uh, So keen to get their citizens in line, Australia was named by Europeans before any of them actually found it. The Terra Australis was hypothesised as a great southern continent to balance the landmasses of the north. It was thought that without significant weight in the south, the northern continents would weigh too heavily on the plates of the earth and tip them to the side, causing untold disaster. Thanks to Australia, however... I'm going to go with that's true about the north... Uh, believing that because they used to have those kind of weird beliefs so that there was uh, another continent in the south um, to balance the north yeah okay that's the fact you're going for Uh, I can confirm that is correct Um, it also in fact uh, Antarctica was also hypothesized before anyone went there but they didn't they didn't name it uh, Terra Australis uh, named it uh, something else Mm. Um, but yes um, so it's been hypothesized since ancient times I think believe even the Greeks thought there must have been um, a uh, big southern continent to balance the ones of the north. So, well done there, Ran. Wow. Thank you. Thanks to Australia, however, all disaster was avoided and everything is now completely fine forever. The national flag of Australia was first flown in 1908 after being designed by a schoolchild who won a contest. Yep, schoolchild. Leo. Schoolchild, schoolchild. I think the uh, schoolchild designed the flag or that it was made in 1908? Uh... Can I only have one? In that case, I'll say schoolchild. Well, you can have both, but you risk losing two points if they're both wrong. Uh, if you get one of them right and you have both, ooh. you break even with zero. So it would be a, <laughs> an exercise in futility, I'm afraid. No, I'm going with schoolchild. Schoolchild? Yeah. I'm afraid to say that the flag of Australia Aww. was not designed by the schoolchild. <laughs> and, and it was also not flown in 1908 so i'm afraid that you would have lost two points if you had gone for both of them so really it was uh, an act of mercy that uh, you did okay, okay. <laughs> carry on geo the stars on australia's flag depict the constellation beta centauri which represents justice and virtue australia's capital city canberra meant woman's cleavage in an aborigine language and was named that because the city is cradled between two mountains and also because the people who named it were very lonely Australia is believed to have a hot climate, but it actually gets more snow than Switzerland. 
The Koen River is known to freeze over in the winter, and koalas have evolved to grow their fur to twice its normal length during the colder months in order to beat the chill. Along with every other species native to Australia, the cane toad is extremely dangerous and has been known to shoot spurts of poisonous liquid at its predators. Despite this... Oh, oh who is that? Who was that that buzzed first? <laughs> I heard geese and I heard a yay. I think the A was first, which is... No! Okay, well, perhaps you're buzzing at different parts. So, um, Mm. Leo, I'm going to go with you... Oh, no, was it Rohan or Leo, I'm afraid? Uh, I came Uh, last, I'll I'll be honest. You came last, okay. (laughs) Oh, my goodness, all three of you think that that was true. So, um, Rohan, if you'd like to go first and tell us which bit you think was true, and we shall uh, go around the circle and find the truth in there. Um, I believe the the toad was a poisonous liquid is true the toad with the poisonous liquid was true geo can you tell us was the toad of the poisonous liquid true its skin is poisonous but it doesn't shoot poison so that oh. was not true okay <laughs> right next round the circle who's next up for the chop <laughs> leo <laughs> well i oh, oh no sorry marie <laughs> yeah oh no i was just gonna say that i was gonna say the toad is poisonous but not the liquid squirting bit but it's already been uncovered. <laughs> Nobody let Rohan take that bullet for you. I've bamboozled <laughs> you. <Okey-dokey. laughs> Leo, were you going to buzz in for the same? Or did you uh, I was going to say exactly what Rohan said, so thank you, Rohan, for taking the, the bullet from me there. Yeah. My pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> it's very, very noble of you. Okie dokie. Right. Um, shall we continue? Despite this, toad licking is a common pastime among Australian youths who have grown accustomed... I just Leo, want that to be go. true. I just really want toad licking to be uh, toad a licking pack. is a common pastime among yeah. Australian youths. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if it's specifically it's, Australian youths. It's not. That are, that you, it's not prominent you, for toad licking. Or... You shouldn't do that. Don't do that. You should. That nobody. <laughs> no, it's not a thing. Just like, one that little lick. Just one little taste. <laughs> no, it will kill you. Okie dokie. If you go, Geo. So, despite this, toad licking is a common pastime among Australian youths who have grown accustomed to their hazardous environment and will agitate the local fauna just to feel something. Despite their aggressive wildlife, Australians are a friendly nation and have good relationships with their neighbour countries. In fact, as a gesture of friendship, an Australian man once tried to sell New Zealand on eBay with a starting price of 0.01 Australian dollars. No. We got there first. I heard Leo first. You heard Leo first? Leo. Yeah, I think it was Leo. What what are you buzzing uh, for? I'm so desperate to recover I'm des- <laughs> I'm desperate to recover my points, so I'm gonna say uh putting New Zealand on eBay. Putting on New Zealand on eBay for a starting price of zero point zero one yeah. Australian dollars is correct. Yep. Uh, this was done. Oh he's so a there genius. we go. You are, in fact <laughs> still in negative points, I'm afraid, Leo. <laughs> So, you've got a long way to go, but uh, we'll get there eventually. The only way is up. Yes, exactly. You exactly. start at the bottom, you start climbing. Kind of. Were you buzzing in for the same fact, Marie? Yes, yes, yes I was, I'm afraid. Righto then. You're letting a lot of people take bullets for <laughs> this. Uh, yeah, this, I really uh, am. I'm, I'm just so slow at the buzzering. <laughs> right, let's continue. As a gesture of friendship, an Australian man once tried to sell New Zealand on eBay with a starting price of 0.01 Australian dollars. He only failed because nobody wanted to buy it. Sorry, New Zealand. That is the the end of Geo's (laughs) lecture. You managed to smuggle two truths past our panellists, Geo. 
the first was that Australia gets more snow than Switzerland. Uh, the Australian Alps are home to the largest ski resort in the Southern Hemisphere. And the second truth that Geo managed to smuggle past our panellists is that Australia's capital city, Canberra, um, meant woman's cleavage in the local Aborigine language. It was named this way because the Aww. city is cradled between two mountains. So that means, Geo, you score two points. Yay! Okie dokie. So, next up is Rohan Asher. Rohan cites one of his main comedy influences as Monty Python. Other comedians which cite their main comedy influences as Monty Python include every comedian ever. Your topic, <laughs> Rowan, is potatoes. Potatoes are a starchy plant tuber, which is one of the most important food crops cooked and eaten as a vegetable. Off you go, Rohan. The potato, real name Solarum tuber scrotum, is a stark different car- is a stark different gravy of carbohydrate. Potatoes are universally loved mainly due to the simple facts that there are just under 200 different types and 114 distinct ways to make them. Geo, which one are you buzzing for? I think there are just under 200 types of potato. You think there are just under 200 types of potato. Rohan, can you confirm or deny that? Uh, no, that's just the ah, thing. Unfortunately, no. There are not over 200 types of potato. Um, okay, Rohan, would you like to continue? Yeah. People love potatoes. Wait, 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 wait. Can I, can I buzz in, in for, for the... <laughs> yeah, yeah, potatoes. I want to pick... No, no, I'm, I want to pick up for Geo last off. Uh, you, you said something about 114 ways of preparing them, right? Or yeah. Something like that. Yeah, can I have that? Can I have a point for that? Because I feel like that's true. 104. Uh, no, you can have... You can have a point deducted for that. Ah! <laughs> there is not 140 uh, ways to prepare a potato <laughs> as well. Unfortunately, there's a problem with numbers, because they always sound very plausible, because you can say any they number. Do. <laughs> they do. Righty-ho. Yeah. So I'm afraid Nobody that's makes minus one point to Geo and minus one point to Leo. Okie dokie. Carry on, Rohan. People love potatoes so much that Matt Lucas's song, Thank You, Fried Potato, recently went viral. And there is a famous game called Burning Potato. Um, the the potato song going viral. That happened, right? I'm afraid it... Was it a potato song? Yes, well, but one of the it was that called... Was given, unless you've accidentally slipped a fact in there. <laughs> um, no, it was called Thank You Baked Potato. Yes. Oh, oh, yes, wow. I recall it. Technicality. Right, potato. <laughs> That's some devious, devious play there. Okie dokie, yeah. so that's uh, minus one point to Marie as well. Uh, Keon Rohan. <laughs> Incredibly, the main differences between Matt Lucas and cultivated potatoes are that they tend to have two more chromosomes than humans and have spent less time with David Williams. Geo, you're buzzing in? I think I'm just I'm just going on this. I think that potatoes have two more chromosomes. You than are correct to think that cultivated potatoes yes! have 48 chromosomes uh, in 24 <laughs> pairs, whereas humans only have 23 pairs of chromosomes for uh, 46 chromosomes in total. Uh, this is a process uh, involving the triplication of the potato genome, uh, possibly during domestication. Off you go, Rohan. Talking of human relation to potatoes, it is rumoured that Donald Trump enjoys eating potatoes in their unhealthiest form so much that he based his facial features off an out-of-date sweet potato. (laughs) Furthermore, 
An American company, Potato Parcel, delivers potatoes with personal messages carved into them. And there is a Spanish website called Patatas de los Insuenos Sexuales that makes potato-themed sex toys. Leo. I'm, I'm willing to bet, uh, going further down into the hole that I'm in, that Potato Parcels is a real thing. Going for Potato Parcels? <laughs> the, uh, the messages yeah. delivered. Okay, I can confirm that that is correct. Uh, the yep. messages are ah. limited oh, to yes. 140 oh. characters or one image. And they are carved directly onto the potato and sent by the American equivalent of First Class Post, I presume. So that gets you a point. Okie dokie, Rohan, continue please. Through my extensive research, according to the famous stereotype, potatoes are actually from Ireland. However, they took time to become so widely consumed in Europe, so much so that chips were at first made from frying parsnips, and McDonald's still do not use actual potatoes to make their fries. The famous 18th century French connoisseur Antoine Augustine Parmentier was the biggest potato hype man in history, using the interesting technique of having armed guards protect his potato fields in order to popularise them. That is true. That is true. Which bit are you going for? Uh, having armed guards protect the potatoes so that people would then steal them and they become popular. You are correct. Yes. Um, the guards were actually instructed to accept all bribes to allow people to steal potatoes um, to make them seem like a kind of forbidden fruit, I guess, that everybody would want them because he was so desperate to popularise the, popularize the potato. Could you bribe them with a potato? Bribe them with potatoes? Yeah. I don't know. Kind of borrowing well, they, they'd have to, to accept. They would have to accept that. Yeah, all bribes. <laughs> Anything goes. You can take potatoes from in front of their eyes and... Hand them into their hands. You could like steal like their pen and then <laughs> give it back to them as a bribe, <laughs> and they'd have to take it. I... Oh, the, the the hijinks you could do. If I oh, am allowed to take these potatoes, I promise, promise that I won't take your potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> Okie dokie. Yeah. Right, Ryan, if you could continue for us, please. Really, he clearly should have had more faith in the potatoes to sort out their own business if he was promoting them, and it would have been much cooler if the guns his guard had shot potatoes out of them. <laughs> <laughs> now, on to the fun stuff, the science of potatoes, which contained three out of the 119 elements on the periodic table. Tomatoes and potatoes are nightshades in the flowering plant genus Solanum, meaning the fruiting parts of the potatoes contain the toxin solanine, which is dangerous for humans to ingest and validly explains why McDonald's do not use real potatoes. <laughs> Leo, off you go. Uh, I've ummed and odd for a while. I'm going to bring it right back to the three out of whatever from the periodic table one. Okay, you're going potatoes contain three out of the however many elements there are in the periodic table. That is not correct, Leo. The tactic of buzzing oh, everything man. is not working well for you, I don't think. Oh, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> Okie dokie. May I, also say, may I also say that there are 118 elements on the periodic table and not 119. Oh. So you're for covering yourself in case there were any <laughs> chemistry pedants. Adding, <laughs> adding insult to injury right now. <laughs> okay um okie dokie carry on please rohan 
These plants are some of the most poisonous in the world, so make sure you peel your potatoes properly, otherwise it could be manslaughter. <laughs> Controversially, in 2003, the English chef Ralph Smith was sentenced to 30 years in prison after six people died eating at his restaurant when he experimented cooking using the potato plant. Most importantly though, it is confirmed that the potato is not technically a vegetable and that is all the science I'm willing to talk about because it's quite boring. <laughs> I think that's true. <laughs> that is, yeah. well, is that all the science you're willing to talk about because that's boring? Or have you got some more science up your sleeve? No, I actually found the science fairly interesting and maybe there is more science. Okay, well, I'm not going to give you a point, Geo. So, I'm also not going to subtract a point okay. for that. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Now, we all know that potatoes are probably the most flexible food item in history. They really do not say no to much. One of their most wholesome forms is jacket potato, and there was always a difference in opinion between me and my brother whether the skin should be left on or off. Well, believe it or not, the stats say that 27% of people in the UK prefer jacket potatoes without skin, which is a bit unnecessary if you ask me. Marie, what are you buzzing in for? I think that's a fact that people don't the the, the percentage without skin. Twenty percent prefer without skin. Just because I want to buzz something. Yeah, that is yeah. not true. The numbers done it again. Yeah, it's numbers. Oh, numbers will it. get anyone. Yeah. Anything. Numbers. Numbers. Stay away from numbers. <laughs> numbers. I'm afraid that's you not true. You hear a number Marie, and you're like, so yeah, that's you lose true. Lose a point. Oh, yeah, I've, no. I've given up on listening to Rowan's numbers. They are they're all lies. <laughs> There are many theories about the creation of the term spud. Apparently, the term first appeared when an Englishman buying potatoes in one of the very first imports to England called them a super production of the utterly delicious when he tasted one, <laughs> causing his friend to shorten the phrase to labelling their new food spuds. A contrary myth also exists that it comes from the initials of a group called the Society for the Prevention of Unwholesome Diet, who attempted to stop potatoes from entering Britain. Like, what a bunch of villains. A more widely believed story is that Irish farmers who used to cultivate potatoes used to fist bump when they successfully grew each potato <laughs> in order not to spread germs, therefore giving potatoes... Oh, yes. <laughs> I want that to be true, so um, I'm going to say You're it's true. You're going for uh, Irish potato farmers fist bump after every, yeah. after every potato. Rohan, is that true? <laughs> Uh, unfortunately no. not. <laughs> Aww, I'm afraid you'll lose it. a point for that. But, you, you were given a chance to back out and you stuck with it. <laughs> no, no, just... Somewhere, agree... somewhere it's true. <laughs> I agree with you, that would have been the best story. Um, okay, so a more widely believed story is that Irish farmers who used to cultivate potatoes used to fist bump when they successfully grew each potato in order not to spread germs, therefore giving potatoes the nickname of spuds. That's it. And that's the end of Rohan's lecture. Rohan, you managed to smuggle two truths past the rest of the panel. The first truth was that, like the tomato, the potato is a member of the nightshade family. 
Um, and other members of this family are some of the most toxic uh, plants in the world. And in fact, the non-edible parts, the non-tuber parts of the potato, is also incredibly poisonous. Uh, the second truth that uh, Rohan, you managed to smuggle past the rest of the panel, is that there is a myth that the origin of the word spud comes from the initials of an organisation called the Society for the Prevention of an Unwholesome Diet. Uh, it was an organisation that was determined to keep the potato out of Britain. Um, there is, however, <laughs> no evidence that this organisation actually exists. So the fact was that it was a myth that this organisation exists. Um, oh, that's sneaky. <laughs> that is sneaky. Bad <laughs> so none of the numbers I... Rowan said were true. No, none of the numbers. No numbers. Sneaky. <laughs> well, in fact, there was one number that was true, and that was the chromosomes one. But I think uh, was oh, it Geo that spotted that? Yeah. Yes. Okie dokie. So we got one number, one true number in all of that. Oh. Righty ho. So that means that uh, Rohan, you score two points. Okay, moving on. Next up is Leo Petru. Leo is the incoming treasurer of Comedy Sock. A student of economics and finance at one of the leading universities in the country, Leo is perfectly equipped to deal with the enormous, enormous budget of Comedy Sock, which now numbers several pounds. <laughs> Leo, your topic is sharks. Sharks are a group of elasmobranch fish characterised by cartilaginous skeletons, five to seven gill slits on the sides of their head, and pectoral fins that are not fused to the head. Off you go, Leo. All right. Sharks are creatures, or fish, that are traditionally known for having many sharp teeth. In fact, there is no part of a shark's body that isn't covered with teeth. This is especially bizarre considering most species of shark aren't carnivores. Instead, their diets mainly consist of lentils and dolphins' cheese. <laughs> Charles Darwin once said that sharks are the pinnacle of evolution and that it's only a matter of time until they come for us all. Sharks are extremely well adapted to their... Marie, what are you going for? I don't... Now that I've buzzed, I'm pretty sure that this is absolute rubbish, but I wanted to buzz. So um, Darwin saying sharks are the pinnacle of evolution. <laughs> I'm afraid to the best of our knowledge, uh, Darwin did not say that. If he did say it as a sort of curious aside um, to someone exactly. on the quarter deck of the Beagle, I, I it's not recorded, I'm afraid. It could have so. been said. Who knows? <laughs> it could have been said, but as we have no historical evidence, I'm going to have to <laughs> stick with the facts as I have them written in front of me, uh, mercilessly ripped from the Wikipedia article of sharks. So I'm going to subtract a point for you, Maria. Okay, uh, Leo, would you like to continue? All right. Sharks are extremely well adapted to their environment, to the point where, if necessary, one great white can disguise itself as a moderately sized group of jellyfish. Because of its, because of this inherent sense of cunning, it's no surprise that sharks have been on Earth longer than any other fish, longer than trees, and even longer than the landmass of Australia. The mental capacity. Geo, I think. What are you buzzing in for? Oh no, that's probably that's okay. Well, have sharks been around for longer than Australia? Sharks have ah, not been around. I realised as soon as I buzzed, I, I was think, like, that's really dumb. I don't know why I thought that. I think, I'm, <laughs> I think I'm right in saying that 360 million years ago, that's the Archean in which that was before all life. Okay, so right. sharks, sharks uh, definitely didn't evolve until a bit after that, I'm afraid yes, to say. that makes sense. <laughs> Okie dokie. All right. Uh, Is anybody else buzzing in or are we moving on? Okay, off you go. Leo. The mental capacity of a shark exceeds human comprehension. 
Most newborn tiger sharks develop memories instantaneously, often leaving them scarred for most of their juvenile years. Marine bi- <laughs> marine biologist. <laughs> Rohan, you buzzed in? Yeah, I'm going with the um the baby sharks and memory. Baby sharks for memory. Uh, what was the whole fact again, Leon? Uh, most newborn tiger sharks develop memories instantaneously. You may have, may have noticed by now, by the fact that I had to check with Leo what the fact yeah. was, that that isn't true. Mm. <laughs> right. Unfortunately. Well, um, to, to the best of my knowledge, they don't develop memories instantly. Well, that isn't true. It is true that baby sharks do. Do, 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 do. <laughs> I spent I spent ages fighting off the urge to sneak one of those in this uh, essay. <laughs> well, you've not finished yet. There's plenty of time to. I can add the sneak five. Oh my god! Uh, I'm so how sorry. How will we go on? <laughs> Somebody had to make the joke. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, I wish I'd seen Jaws more recent so I could make some choice references. Unfortunately, I've not seen it in a number of years. Okie dokie, Leo, would you like to continue for us? Uh, marine biologists were trying to prove that hammerhead sharks could develop the muscle memory needed to play the piano, but this test was later scrapped on the basis that they have no hands. Some, sh- <laughs> some sharks challenge fantasy. The Greenland shark can live up to half a millennium, making it the longest living vertebrate known to man. Sharks play a large role in popular culture. This is partially due to the 1977 film Jaws. The shark, antagon- the shark antagonist of the film is often incorrectly referred to as Jaws, when its name is actually Francine, named after the mother of the film's director. Many sayings have sprouted from, the, from human fascination with sharks. These include, to lick the shark, which means to risk away the money of a loan shark while gambling. To jump the shark is a saying used to describe a desperate gimmick used to maintain the viewers of an, the viewers' interest in a declining TV series. And lastly, to recite like a shark means to pledge yourself to Bruce's fraternity of nice sharks from Finding Nemo. <laughs> in Hawaiian mythology, sharks are popular ancestor guardians. The body of a deceased loved one can be offered to become a shark. Personally, I'd rather watch over my descendants as a humble. I want that to be a Marie. thing that they pass on the deceased person to become a shark because I think it's for other animals but I don't know if it's necessarily in that area of the world but yeah you are correct they are a popular (laughs) um, a popular (laughs) ancestor garden in Hawaii Um, that was good Leo was sneaking a lot past he was in serious danger of getting into positive things I know I thought thought... Um, yeah so in Hawaiian mythology uh, sharks are popular ancestor guardians the body of deceased relatives can be offered to become a shark it's thought that the markings on the shark's body correspond to the clothing which the beloved's body was was wrapped in when they died I thought of that because Leo, of brother bear <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I've not seen this is a... uh, I'll keep going what's going like, yeah sorry okie dokie yeah all right personally I would rather watch over my descendants as a humble less threatening fruit fly that's my uh, that's my essay done. Wow, splendid! And um, that's the end of Leo's essay. Leo, you did uh, astonishingly. You managed to sneak oh four oh truths past our panel. Wow. Um, so the first truth that you sneaked past the panel was that sharks have been on Earth longer than ah! trees. So there was once something in that I list, Geo, but uh, it was the wrong one that you went for. You backed the wrong horse there. <laughs> Uh, yes, so evidence exists for sharks dating from the Ordovician period, about 450 to 420 million years ago, before land vertebrates existed and before a variety of plant that colonised the land. Um, and trees, in case you're interested, the first evidence we have for those is 360 million years ago. Wow. 
the second truth that Leo smuggled past is that no part of a shark's body isn't covered with teeth. What? Um, shark scales are known as dermal denticles, and they are structurally and developmentally the same as their teeth. That's crazy. I'm, I'm not going to lie. What? I'm not going to lie. The first time I read that fact after Jacob sent it to me, I thought this is going to be so fun to play with. <laughs> <laughs> I was, uh, yes, some pretty... Sharks are weird creatures, and they've got a lot wrong with them. There's a lot going on. (laughs) It's all just a bit much sometimes. The third truth that Leo managed to smuggle past them all is that the longest-lived vertebrate known is the Greenland shark. Oh, damn. One specimen was estimated to be at least 272 million years old, but because of the error in their estimations, it could possibly be as much as 512 years old. And the final truth that Leo managed to sneak past was that the phrase jump the shark is used to describe a desperate gimmick used to maintain the viewer's interest in a declining television series. Uh, it relates from a scene in season five um, of the uh, sitcom from the 1970s, Happy Days, in which the character of Fonzie jumps over a shark while on water skis. That was quite late in Happy Days' run, I think. Um, so that means, Leo, that you score four points. Wow. Do you want me to give you I can't. Um, some sad news, Leo? No, don't know. I know. I know what the sad <laughs> news is. Don't worry. The other way is up. Uh, okay, I'll save <laughs> it for the end, but it's not good. <laughs> so, oh gosh, our final panelist tonight is Marie Collahan. Marie has recently returned from studying history of art in Vienna. So, tell me, Marie, if that is your real name, what were you doing on the eighth of November, nineteen twenty-three? <laughs> no answer. <laughs> Silence. A wise defense. Okay, your topic, Marie, is. You got nothing. (laughs) Answer the question! Um, Your topic is handshakes. Uh, A handshake is a globally widespread brief greeting or parting tradition in which two people grasp each other's hands, in most cases accompanied by a brief up and down movement of the grasped hand. Off you go, Marie. So, handshakes. Did you know the British and European record for the most handshakes in a single day is 19,550? This was set by a certain Stephen Potter at the St Albans Carnival on the 31st of August, 1987. Rohan. Um, the record is 19,000 whatever. I'm hoping you haven't been as sneaky as I was with numbers. Well, in this case, the numbers didn't lie. One of the few numbers that is accurate in this whole episode. Yes, it is true. The European uh, record uh, for most handshakes held in a single day is 19,500. In fact, that whole sentence was true. Um, Yeah, you cleverly tried to sneak it in right at the beginning. I thought I'd try and get it through at the beginning. No one would expect me to put it through. Because of Rowan, Rowan, I have no faith in numbers anymore. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, oh, carry on. Right. Oh, okay, right. So, now, handshakes are thought to originate from our more primal days where one would grab the arm of the other and bite into it in an attempt to assert one's dominance while simultaneously cre- creating quite a deep connection. It has also been described as the perfect attack technique in how to survive a zombie apocalypse. People involuntarily bring their hand close to their nose after shaking hands to smell it, like a dog's tendencies to smell the other's rear in a form of greeting. Not to be confused with licking hands, hair sniffing or high-fiving to pass on good or bad vibes. (laughs) The high-fiving was actually brought to Western Europe by the Italian Jesuits who learnt from the nomadic Guarani tribe during their missionary in the work in South America. 
Oh, we had two people buzz there. I think Leo, you were in there first. So, Leo, tell me, first? which one are you buzzing for, Leo? Uh, missionaries in South America bringing the high five. Italian mis- uh, Jesuit missionaries returning with the high five in South America is not true, I'm afraid. Oh, so man. Oh, it's <laughs> devastating. Sorry. I, uh, I, I was almost believing There was a Guarani tribe honest. in South America and the Jesuits <laughs> did go there. But no, it's just enough, <laughs> enough facts like yeah. folded into that, like raisins in a flapjack. It was splendid. Okay, really um, you're buzzing in for the same fact, Brian. I was. You took the bullet from me. Yeah, oh, that's fine, Ryan. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I have to be here. Okie dokie. Right. Um, so the form of handshakes we are familiar with today started was started by the ancient Greeks who would grab someone's forearm and whisper in their ear to convey a private yeah. message. message. I believe this then... that's true because I watched like an ancient Greek play, like people doing it, and they're always doing that. So which bit? The... The, the ancient <laughs> Greeks uh, grabbed the arm to convey a secret message. Well. Perhaps if Marie would oh, like to finish that's, that's sentence, not good. and then uh, uh, um, we'll decide, we'll we'll find out exactly oh, yeah. how true that is. Um, <laughs> well, it's um, that actually isn't true. That's just pe- something people do in general. Like it's not actually a handshake. But I'm gonna. Yeah, so I'm I just afraid uh, you with everything? A point for that. Cool. Okay. Please, Marie. <laughs> um, okay. The form of handshakes we are familiar with today was started by the ancient Greeks who would grab someone's forearm and whisper in their ear to convey a private message. This then evolved to the Roman practice of grabbing the forearm to check nothing was concealed in the sleeve. Actually, I think the Roman thing of checking that nothing is concealed. That part is correct, yes. Um, Okie dokie, so the Roman handshake involved grabbing the forearm to check nothing (laughs) was concealed. Um, Okie dokie. Carry on, please. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, actually, Greek and Roman gravestones often had depictions of the deceased shaking hands with a living relative to show a bond with the dead. The idea that a handshake could create a bond. In, again. I know. I know. I just. I know. I <laughs> oh. just buzzed, but I think that is oh. also true so, of shaking hands <laughs> to represent. I'm in two minds uh, whether or not to give that to you because that was actually part of the sort of extra information I put in for background with the facts. Um, so oh, okay. It, no, it's okay. potentially it's the part, of the, same, then, part then, of the yeah. same, part of the same, the same fact there. So I think I'm not going to give that one to you, Geo, because it is all the Roman handshake <laughs> part. Um, I'm afraid. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> I can confirm you are in positive okay. figures, though, so you don't have much. Okay. Doing better than me, probably. It's so much better than <laughs> numbers. It's so much cooler. It's a race to the bottom. <laughs> right, Marie, off you go. <laughs> Okay, so the idea that a handshake could create a bond is also present in various parts of Africa to show there is a private conversation occurring between the two talking. If they are not shaking hands, others are then permitted to enter the conversation, similar to a handshake force field kind of idea. Handshakes can all be in secret Sorry, societies. Um, uh, um, was that yeah, Rohan? Um, yes, I couldn't, I couldn't remember. I'm late on it, <laughs> but I want to go with the um, people in Africa and the conversations with the handshake. 
you are a bit late, but that is absolutely correct. So I'm going to give you the point. Yes. <laughs> no. In some areas of Africa, handshakes are continually held to show the conversation is between the two talking. Uh, if they're not shaking hands, others are permitted to enter the conversation. So it's, uh, yeah. it's kind of like the, the cushion that lets you speak in, a, in an intervention, I suppose. <laughs> um, so uh, that oh. is a point for you, Rohan. Mm-hmm. Okay, would you Apparently, like to continue, please? Ooh. Yeah, all of my ones are being found out. It's so sad. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Don't worry, I haven't found any yet. <laughs> Off you go okay. again, Maureen. Handshakes can also be used as a form of covert communication in secret societies. One example is the practice of drawing out the dots and lines with your index finger onto the other's palm to convey convey a message through Morse code. There was a legendary individual in the covert handshake community, nicknamed the Handshake Man, who repeatedly evaded the Secret Service to shake hands with the US presidents. His name was Richard C. Weaver, and he claimed to use these intimate moments to pass messages from God to the president. Most notably, in 2003, he passed on an eight-page message about Iraq to George W. Bush. There were also some more mundane messages <laughs> included from God that included the perfect recipe for brownie. I think there's something in there. I think um, Morse code about in the secret handshakes. Morse code. Okay, that was quite a while ago. Um, I'm going to let true? you buzz for that, even though that was a bit of yeah, a while is that ago. True? Uh, because it's not true. Um, the Morse code is <laughs> is not, I'm afraid. So that will be... Uh, I'm going to have to take a point of Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Of course I did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It would be great. People should do that. Mm-hmm. I think they should. <laughs> Thank, you. Yeah. Thank you very but, much, um, That's that actually that the end of oh, wow. your so... so after all of that, yeah. you managed to smuggle... Two truths past the rest of the panel. The first truth was that uh, people involuntarily bring their hand close to their nose after handshaking to smell it. Uh, This may replace the sniffing behaviours done by other animals on greeting uh, in humans. And the second (laughs) fact that you managed to smuggle past the rest of the panel was actually in that segment, Geo, that you were determined there was something true in. Um, It is the Handshake Man fact. Ah. So Handshake Man is the nickname of an individual who has repeatedly evaded secret service to uh, Ah. shake hands with several US (laughs) presidents. Uh, Rissy Weaver claims to use these moments to pass messages on from God to the presidents. Most notably in 2003 when he managed to hand an eight-page message about Iraq to George W. Bush. I have to say, I don't think that's a handshake if you've eight pieces of paper in your hand. That's more like slapping someone with a book, you know. It's yeah. Well, at least <laughs> fairly it is, it's worth noting that uh, like, here you go. Richard C. Weaver does yeah. uh, claim to have shaken hands with more presidents than the Secret Service is willing to admit on his website compared to uh, the official charges pressed against him. But he was later arrested in 2006 uh, for for this moment of breaching their security, possibly mm-hmm. because there were some red faces in the security service. OK, so that is the final lecture from our panellists. As you smuggled two truths past the rest of them, you score two points. And finally... In order to give the panellists a chance to claw back some points, try and get out of negative figures or burrow into the negative figures, as the case may be, I'm now going to give a short letter as well, um, which all of the panellists can buzz in um, in order to (laughs) points. My topic is St. George. St. George, also known as George of Lydda, was a soldier of Cappadocian Greek origin, a member of the Praetorian Guard for the Roman Emperor Diatlican. 
who was sentenced to death for refusing to recant his Christian faith. And my lecture starts now. St George, better known as Stephen George, for the S is short for Stephen, is one of the most revered figures of Japanese Shinto. However, in the Judeo-Christian tradition, the figure of St. George brings gifts to elderly members of the family on the sixth day of Halloween by climbing up through the U-bend of public toilets and leaving a sack of presents at the foot of dog boobins in the park. Born in the town of Flid and buried in the town of Lot, St. George's early life was probably as eventful as it shrouded in mystery. One story has it that... Ooh, Gio, off you go. Is is it is there is there are like going, a which one are you going for? Flid or Lod? In that town, Lod, you Lod. are correct. Uh, it is believed that uh, ah! St George oh was God. buried in the town of Lod in what is uh, modern day Israel, I believe. Oh, that's Okey crazy! Dokey. I thought I could sneak it in there with Flid. That sounds implausible, and Lod is just implausible. <laughs> hey ho. Okay, St George's early life was probably as eventful as it is shrouded in mystery. One story has it that the young George was swapped by his parents for a sack of grain, they being unable to afford grain to feed themselves. The travelling doctor that bought him educated the young boy and took him along as he sold his services throughout the Middle East and Europe. For this reason, in the country of Georgia, which is named after the saint, it is traditional for doctors to provide their services free to the poor on St George's. But the practice of charging patients for the other 364 days of the year. Oh, I had heard two buzzes there. I think I heard the boing first. Leo. Uh, okay. Georgia, Georgian doctors providing free services on St. George's Day. I'm afraid that is not true. I'm sorry, Leo. Uh -huh. uh. And what was uh, Rohan? I believe I heard you buzz as well. What, were you buzzing for the same fact? Yeah. No, I was gonna go by uh, with that George was like adopted by a doctor. That George was adopted by a travelling doctor after being swapped for a bag of grain, I'm afraid, is also not true. So I'm gonna subtract a point for you as well. Okie dokie. <laughs> Could I also? Oh, let's make it a hat trick. Yes. <laughs> would it be possible? <laughs> 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 Can I buzz the Georgia is named after, named after St. St. George? I'm afraid it's not true. Um, it's an independent origin. Although, <laughs> George is the patron saint of Georgia. So, but it is a, a sort of ah, coincidence. See, that was it, I believe I'll be right in saying that St. George wouldn't have called George <laughs> in whatever the Georgian, I, I presume they speak, kind of Caucasus. I, I, I don't know. I don't know the language of Georgia, but I would be surprised if it's pronounced the same. Um, uh, you get ready, for all the letters. Yeah. get ready for all the you letters coming from like, Georgia, Georgia now. Yeah. pronounced like Gail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Right. That was an inverse hat trick there. I'm very sorry about that. It's a troublesome paragraph. Okay. <laughs> but the practice of charging mm -hmm. patients for the other 364 days of the year ended when Georgia was absorbed by the Soviet Union. It is even believed that he reached what would one day become the Netherlands. The story goes that his guardian, the doctor, instructed George to gather tulip bulbs to make medicine. Looking at the floor, George did not realise he was walking towards a dike and fell off the edge into the water. And it is in commemoration of this event that there is a roller coaster in the Netherlands named Joris en Drak, which translates as George in the drink. So befuddled, Gio, you buzzed in? I think, I think 
that's true. <laughs> the roller coaster. I don't know. Is there a roller coaster, there a roller coaster in, in the Netherlands named Joris Endidrak? But Joris Endidrak translates to George and the Dragon, not George in the Drink. <laughs> oh. So that is uh, a point for oh. you, Geo. That yeah. Oh. So befuddled was the young boy wow. by his dunking that he picked roses instead of tulips. When he returned them to his master, the doctor sighed and told him to visit the local bookseller to buy a herbalist's almanac so that he learned the fundamentals of the local flora. And it is for this reason that in Catalonia, lovers exchange roses for books on St George's Day. But truly the only story about St George that is definitely, definitely, 100% factually and historically accurate, cross my... <laughs> Marie. Sorry. Can I do one from Go before ahead. with the roses for books? In Catalonia? The roses for books. That is I correct. Just... Yes. Oh, yeah. um, it I was is so close to buzzing oh. for that. On, uh, <laughs> on St George's Day. In fact, um, St George is the patron saint of lovers in Catalonia and also the patron saint of Catalonia itself. So you get a point, Marie. Got something. <laughs> That's truly the only story about St. George that is definitely, definitely, 100% factually and historically accurate, cross my heart and hope to die, is the story of George slaying the dragon with his lance, Ascalon. Though this lance is often considered to be a phallic metaphor by many theologians. As a result, when Winston Churchill named his personal aeroplane during the Second World War Ascalon after the lance, it allowed him to jest. I have the biggest member in all of the League of Nations. In modern times, St. George is venerated. Geo. I think... <laughs> I don't know. I just Which want part? that. I want, I want that to be true about, um, <laughs> about the... About like the sword being phallic. I don't I think, think that anybody funny. has ever made the, the reference to a phallic metaphor <laughs> being George's lance, I'm afraid. No. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's, you know, oh, yes. you wouldn't want to do it. I would certainly really. be quite yeah. a story down it's the, on the It's on the bucket list. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can, I, can I boing in Please real do. quick? Um, <laughs> uh, you, you said something about Churchill naming planes after uh, said phallic sword. That Could is that true. true? Uh, it's Winston Churchill's yes. personal aeroplane during the Second World War ah. was named a scout after, uh, after the lance. But I, I found no evidence that it was a phallic metaphor and that he used that joke. Uh, so that means you get a point, Leo. In modern times, St. George is venerated by many nations, professions and peoples as a patron saint. St. George is the patron saint of Argentina, crisps, gardeners, booksellers, South Africa, Denmark, syphilis, fishermen and Cuba. So remember, ever find yourself buying a book, eating a crisp, Rohan. There was a lot in there, but <laughs> I I don't know, but is he the patron saint of Argentina? He is not the patron saint of Argentina, I'm afraid to say. You going for any others? Or are you, you're too deep in the hole now? <laughs> uh, no. Uh, Wait, could, I, okay, could you say the other countries? Uh, you said Denmark. What, are, what other nation was there? South Would Africa. Would you like me to read the whole list again? Yeah, go on. Okay. That would be nice. <laughs> We're just going <laughs> to... Yeah, St. George one. is the patron saint of Argentina, <laughs> crisps, gardeners, booksellers, South Africa, Denmark, syphilis, fishermen, and Cuba. Uh, okay, as, as tempting as syphilis may be, I might go for Cuba. <laughs> I'm afraid, Leo, 
Cuba is not correct. Uh, I'm not going to allow any more buzzings. Oh, okay. Marie, you were a quick before I said it. No. Go for it. <laughs> yes. I'm, I, I feel really guilty. No. Yes, I mean, yes, you can, but it's wrong. Uh, <laughs> 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 Fine, I'm, far t- I'm too far gone anyway. I, I'm definitely... I, think you're doing, I mean, all things are relative, Marie. I think you're doing better than you think. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, so remember, okay. if you ever find yourself buying a book eating a crisp, smoking a star, or catching a venereal disease, pay your respects to St. George. And that is the end of my lecture. Only one truth made it past uh, the panel from my lecture. Ooh. And that was that St. George is the patron saint of syphilis and skin diseases. I don't get a All I did was uh, push your scores all further into the negative and so it's time for the final <laughs> scores. And we have a three-way tie for last place. <gasps> so on minus two, we have oh Rohan, Leo, wow. and Marie, which means today's winner is yeah. Gio with a grand total of zero points. So well done, Gio. <laughs> Yay! Wow. <laughs> So what you're telling me is if I turned my mic off, I would have actually done better. <laughs> yeah. Well, you wouldn't be able to smuggle all of those truths Damn past it. everybody else, which is what got you uh, okay. up from, okay. from, I think you were on minus five at one point. So <laughs> just before you did your Ooh. lecture. Wow. Um, oh, dear. I don't, I don't, I don't like St. George. No, a lot wrong. Yeah. I lost, I lost two points on that. <laughs> no, I, I feel quite bad. I think I, uh, yeah. I, I made my facts quite weird and my fiction quite mundane. <laughs> so all the nonsense with <laughs> with George and the apothecary and the herbalist and the book was just a bit too plausible, I think, for everybody. Better, yeah. Oops, sorry. Um, so that is all we have time for today. So it only remains to say thank you for listening and goodbye from all of us here. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. And from me, I have been Lawrence Fishburne, and you have been listening to the news at one o'clock. Goodbye. The Unbelievable Truth was a York Comedy Sock production, written and hosted by Jacob Adesta, starring Rohan Asher, Leo Betru, Marie Collahan, and Geo Craig, edited by Robert Smith, and music by Emily Brighty. For regular updates and more episodes of the Comedy Sock podcast, follow at Comedy Sock on Facebook.